Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Yeah. Are you me? Yeah. 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 Are you me? Yeah. 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 Are you me? Yeah. Get on the ready line. <laughs> nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving in. It ain't us. Get them out of there! Welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, episode 46, Aliens, not to be confused with Alien, the uh, original Ridley Scott, one that I watched on my iPhone. Um, you know, this one, of course, is the James Cameron sequel. Um, it, you know, interesting, I think, that there's so many uh, different kinds of, you know, like so much tech and weapons, and they still couldn't figure out how to get fucking Leonardo DiCaprio onto that door uh, at the end of Titanic, but you know, I guess that's a... That's something to take up, take up with uh, James Cameron, though. Um, I am joined by my co-host number one since the beginning, since day one, Jay Andrew World. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Just crossing my T's and dot my I's and, and uh, everything so we can be fantastic. Perfect. All right, our, our third mic, second co-host, uh, you know, Conan Neutron, you know him from Protonic Reversal. You know, Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, 
uh, you know, world, world, world famous uh, touring band. Uh, what's what's going on? You got home? You got home thirty minutes ago? Yeah, just flew in from San Francisco, and boy, my arms tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, great to be here. I love aliens. This is gonna be good. Looking forward to it. That's it. Keep it succinct this time. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. I like this. We're keeping it moving. Keeping yeah, yeah. it moving. Keep it moving. All right. Uh, Christina Oaks. I'm Christina on Twitch. Also streaming there, I guess, right now. I mean, if, if I guess you're hosting hosting yes. this, this show. Um, yes. You don't know? Yes. That's why I said yes, yes, yes. Thumbs no, up. No, not you, Forrest. I'm just busting it. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Aliens is a, is a cherished movie of my childhood, which is kind of weird considering the rating. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to discuss this movie. <laughs> Cool. Nice. All right. We're also joined once again by Erica Strout, uh, a Georgia-based filmmaker, music video director, and musician. She's half of the musician musical duo Dream Tent, plays guitar and sings in Motherfucker, and the live band of Conan Neutron and The Secret Friends. What? Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, the Alien franchise has been a favorite of mine for a long time. I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Did we just out you as a secret friend? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that I wasn't I didn't know that I was in the secret friend closet <laughs> is there a closet it's it's massive there's plenty of storage space <laughs> is there a mini bar in there yeah you better be. I sure as hell hope so today Conan, Conan Neutron's secret friends closet is of course a green room um, <laughs> they've built it from the ground up well my room is green I was gonna say apparently you're in the van <laughs> All right, so I like I like uh, the Alien franchise. Um, I, I've I've watched them when I was like a lot younger. Um, Reengaging with them now, I don't like I don't think that it, I had too much of a of an awareness or like a you know a movie is when I when I saw these movies as a kid. So I'm happy to revisit them. Um, this one I think a lot more than uh, Alien kind of takes like a very 80s, um, which is like, I, where I want to start this conversation, like a very 80s. Um, I, I'm not saying like anti-capitalist, but like a, a definitely a, um, a populist, uh, like anti-corporation message to it, right? Like the the company, of course, um, in in both movies, Alien and Aliens, is the is the villain. But uh, Sigourney Weaver's, um, you know, Ellen Ripley seems to uh, when she wakes up like 57 years later, seems to not fully engage with the fact that you know it was the the company that set her up in the first movie and set up the entire crew um she seems to be willing to accept that like you know this company might it might have been a malfunction with the ai um you know that that caused a lot of this in an accident and she seems to she she re resists going on this uh new miss mission but you know doesn't seem to fully um acknowledge that the that the company is is evil even in space, you're still living in capitalist realism. Yeah. Hey, Space Force, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I wanted to start the conversation. I mean, if anyone has thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, you know. well, I've, I've kind of brought this up a bit uh, in, in uh, past streams that, that we've done uh, where, where there was a, a kind of zeitgeist, and I know you hate that word, but, you know, give me a better word and I'd be happy to use it, uh, in, in that era of, like, anti-corporatism in films. But, like... It's a very specific thing, and, and uh, you know this this might be kind of the first one that fully like, you know, took it on head on. Um, you could argue uh, there's elements of it in Blade Runner, um, but but uh, there's definitely some you know th this is a a, a, a trend that because uh, because Aliens 
was a, a uh, game changer in many ways for science fiction films. Uh, and, you know, just, just because it was able to combine like so many different themes into it so effectively and did the sequel quite well. I mean, was able to build something incredible. Yeah. And I think too, is that this is like one of the, there was a bit of that anti-corporatism like messaging going on, especially with Reagan being in office. Yeah. So this was like a big like middle finger to Reaganism and just how things were just changing in the eighties, like in a very like negative way. So a lot of these movies, especially sci-fi movies knew how to, you know, slide in that messaging. Of course, when I was younger, I had no idea that's what it was about. I was just, oh, it's a grown woman trying to protect the girl from aliens. And that's, but now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, this is like a middle finger to like Ronald Reagan, probably. There's also a really interesting, I mean, the company is kind of the, um, it's the famous book about the CIA. And uh, so th this kind of, um, it seems like both the, the military and uh, the military is is like pretty much privatized in this uh you know space venture and they seem to be kind of yeah pretty much so one corporation for, right yeah instead of five corporations by fugazi it's one corporation it's all wayland yutani yeah so it's it's interesting that kind of uh the company as a name kind of takes on the same um at least in this movie insidious uh like cia intelligence state kind of thing and you know for the for the idea that you know they have research labs they're doing their own um r d it seems like you know what i mean like they're they're trying to in both movies, they're trying to bring back aliens to, to fucking study them so they can colonize these planets in a, in a different way. And so they know what threats to, you know, watch out for. And also probably so they have bioweapons to use against other, um, you know, like other other groups that they might find out in space. And they're willing to do pretty much anything, you know, sacrifice as many lives as possible for that goal. So it, it kind of in the same way, I think um, there's a growing awareness within the 80s uh, with Reagan the cia is used in this way right like operation condor like the the idea that you know we kind of um pretty much colonize places and then send out the intelligence state to overthrow governments to you know like to to um have our own commerce be represented like we use them in in the most insidious possible ways and to have the company as um you know a, as the name uh is is interesting i, I don't know if how purposeful it is at least because um, it's taken from the first movie. And I mean, yeah. the 70s are kind of when the awareness of this grows. Yeah, uh, this is more of a 70s oh. movie, in my opinion, just just kind of uh, to add on to what yeah. you're saying there. It, it's um, out of that the 70s uh, paranoia of, of uh, I mean, like it is a Vietnam War movie, really, uh, is what it is. Um, you know, whereas, you know, uh, I did a stream recently on, on my channel about Screamers talking about Endless War. This isn't quite the endless war. This is more of the Vietnam, you know, take on things. Uh, I don't quite know how Screamers got that right in the mid '90s, but uh, that's a conversation for another video. Um, but but this one is definitely more, uh, you know, uh, from that Vietnam, uh, you know, perspective, and has that that post uh, Watergate paranoia as well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. You were going to say, Christina. Oh, I'm. You're like absolutely right, though. Like, there's like so much subtle messaging about how shady like the CIA is, and like how it's this is a post-Vietnam, post-Watergate movie for sure. Uh, I just think it's interesting how it's like when we hear about how the Space Force is being formed. Apparently, it's the one-year anniversary of the Space Force. Hmm. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this movie was so ahead of its time with that. They don't have a space force, so it's the Marines. In no, this. yeah, <laughs> like Marines. it's just. I mean, yeah, but... 
but but if you look at the space force yeah. pictures they don't have uh aliens uh stuff on it it's all star wars it's yeah it, i'm like it's a two on the nose because like like i thought it was satire because here's these military guys they're doing so opening this uh um uh space force uh base and they're all hanging out with uh imperial stormtroopers i'm just like guys guys you're two on the nose <laughs> so erica what do you think about all that i got some thoughts too but i'd like to hear from you first Oh, um, yeah, definitely. I agree with the points that have been made. I hadn't thought about it as far as like the time period of it. Um, to me, it just felt like like a lot of sci-fi movies. And maybe this is like like Andrew said, like that it was one of the first ones to really like address that issue head on. But definitely seems like a common theme to have like that corporate greed, you know, like anti-capitalist sometimes, you know messaging in there what went Robo, into the Robo story Cops, another another one right like a year i think it's a year later after sure this, mm -hmm. that, that yeah yeah and it's similar the best cop movie ever yeah. it's not everything you love gratuitous violence yeah well in the 80s gratuitous commercial there was so much change and, yeah privatization so crazy things happening just, at that time. You know. but yeah okay so I'd like to say that I actually think it's quintessentially 80s in the fact that it basically started what we think of as modern action franchise. Like it's like one of these, what we think of as action movie cliches, a lot of them, we saw them for the first time in Aliens and even including stuff that Cameron did later and maybe became better known for in later movies, things like T2, uh, stuff along those lines. But additionally, I think in the first movie, if you really look into it, like the Wayland yutani company, you know, it's kind of you know a little bit hmm, that's a little shady and then by aliens it's like yo these guys are straight up evil <laughs> like they will do anything including like you know they don't care who lives and dies because they're going to make money off of uh these creatures these these yeah. aliens and they're they going to the technology they're, they're right? willing to try to impregnate yeah. you know women yeah. girls anyone doesn't matter because it's going to make them money and they know it's going to make yeah. them money and so it's ultimately it's the it's 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 the ultimate expression of the free market. It's just you know it's completely um, moralless in any way, shape, or form, uh, and profit above anything else. But again, I think you hit an important point of being RoboCop around the same time because there was kind of and it was a backlash against you know the greed is good Reaganomics. Um, you know mindset within the '80s, but there really wasn't a lot of representation like that in sci-fi. Mm -hmm. for this that's what makes this interesting because you don't have to care about any of that to be like oh man they're, like they're gonna like what's going on this is crazy like everything's getting blown up they're coming after them and then like later on you're like hey wait a second that wasn't very ethical that corporation to do you know like, whatever <laughs> like or you're not and that's fine and that's one of the things yeah. that makes it an endearing film and a uh, other than being again as i mentioned one of the catalysts for what we think of as the modern uh you know big explosion uh blockbusters and and using kind of Paul Reiser, who has this uh, best piece of Paul Reiser I can think of, really. Yeah, like like this reputation as like kind of being a nice guy. Like I, I find it actually really funny that um, uh, I've been listening to a lot of Truanon for uh, you know, all the Ghislaine Maxwell trials going on, and they described one of the the witnesses that were testifying, like one of the witnesses that I think was corroborating a story from another witness, um, ha as having like Paul Reiser vibes, like as in like nice boyfriend vibes. So it was funny like oh. a week later to, to watch this movie, but it, it's kind of a, it's the rise of a new kind of company man too, right? Like it's a, 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 a different, a new generation, I guess. Yuppie. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> I, no, I remember like watching Stranger Things. A whole new like, category of guy. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching Stranger Things and seeing Paul Reiser in it. And I'm like, I'm like, this this dude has a very familiar face. I just can't put my finger on it. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then I was watching Aliens afterwards, and I was like, oh, that's him. Because <laughs> well, it really feels like you know we kind of still uh think of like older like we we kind of now have have this the stereotype i guess of like the younger bro stockbroker or like the younger bro kind of guy trying to shake things up the company but like i've worked with those dudes and it's a stereotype for a reason there's a lot of those guys no but like what what i'm saying is in terms of like movies right like with these characters that that appear a lot it feels like um in the 80s a lot of times there's they think of kind of uh the boardroom as having a lot of older like older men and and kind of older women that are kind of just sitting around talking about, um, you know, like how to make more money and all the stuff. And, and that kind of is, it's easy to kind of throw that away and say, well, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of anti this. I don't want these older, you know, these older people who just care about money that are probably going to die off soon, um, having control over everything, but in kind of in, get that inviting, line. <laughs> but like in, inviting, like, you know, this younger, nice seeming, um, you know, definitely sketchy, but like, it doesn't seem like Paul Reiser in this movie at first is going to end up being as cutthroat and evil as he is. Like it's kind of the embodiment of the mm-hmm. company as like almost this like more sensitive, um, the sensitive like face that once he starts saying like, oh, well, you the know. Pete Buttigieg of uh, this particular yeah. outfit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his character is a total coward on top of all the other stuff. Yeah. And I have yeah. a hard time. I, I know this is ridiculous, but for some reason, I have a hard time liking Paul Reiser because of his character in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same. Like he just, he just looks like one of those guys that's sus. Yeah, in my opinion. He like, just played it too well. Shady the house. <laughs> like, oh my god. Because yeah. he's known for playing like he 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 does play like shady, suspicious characters, especially in like that's why they casted him in Stranger Things. I think in like season one or season two where he plays like the character that's involved with like the that like upside down like world or whatever i'm trying to remember it's been a long time since i've seen stranger things but i'm like oh they they picked him because he's known for playing that one specific character in aliens Mm -hmm. this this role would be perfect for him yeah i think i think they actually gave it to him because of aliens but uh and not and not uh mad about you yeah, I was just trying to think of like something he was in other than Mad About You, where he was like a nice guy. My two I don't think of anything. My two dads. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Good example. I, I was I was always a fan of that show because I, I always wanted like a loft apartment with all the uh, crazy furniture that that I would uh, design as an artist. Um, <laughs> but growing up as an artist, realizing like that show's just so unreal. But I, I wanted to I wanted to bring yeah. in two uh, two quotes. I got that, on that, but all right. <laughs> no, but I wanted to I wanted to bring in two quotes that I had written down. That's why I'm kind of searching this Google Doc. Um, the first one um, is <laughs> is when when uh, Ellen Ripley, and this is kind of the like believe the science moment of this of this film. I think when she's talking about how you know nuking the installation is really the way to make sure that humanity never has to deal with this colony of aliens, like. It's the smart plan. It's the it's the plan that's gonna like work. Like it's the only plan that's gonna work. And the first thing he says is, "Hold on one second. This installation has a substantial dollar value attached to it." And then she says, 
they can bill me, which is objectively like a badass line. Yeah. You know, when you're, <laughs> yeah, when you're, when you're you know, defending science and he says, okay, look, this is an emotional moment for all of us. Okay. I know that, but let's not make snap judgments. This is clearly an important species we're dealing with. And I don't think that you or I or anyone has the right to arbitrarily exterminate them, which is like the, the same kind of concern trolling. Mm -hmm. I think that happens a lot of times with uh, corporations now mm -hmm. where it's like, they're willing to use kind of this liberal language or like this progressive language of like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. because presumably speaking, like, you know, we're kind of in it, like in, in a time of con conservation where it's like, oh, well, we need to conserve the species. You can't just, you know, exterminate them. Like we need yeah. to, you know, have, but of course it's, it's all about that dollar value. It's all about the bottom line. So she's like, I, fucking watch me. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like ev ev everything has value. Yeah, everything has value. You can't, you can't, you know, mess with nature, or mess with species, or do this or do that. And I'm like, yeah, what's the? Why do cockroaches exist? I, why, why, why do they exist? I don't understand. There's some, there's some things that I feel like I'm like, why do they even exist? Murder mm -hmm. hornets. Why do we need them? Mosquitoes. <laughs> Mosquitoes. Yeah. Why do we need them? Well, and when yeah. she first says it too, like the only person's on board is Bill Paxton, who like everyone's like, oh god, this guy. But as <laughs> as as much as like they don't want to hear the message from him, because like granted, he, he's he's not wrong, but he is annoying. But he's, he's not totally wrong. Annoying. He's a hundred percent right about all of it. Like mm -hmm. he's like, we sh they should get the fuck out of there. So when she yeah. says that, he's like, yeah, I'm with her, man. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> but nobody wants to hear it from him because he's not the one that they're like. Oh. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. uh, the, the yeah. love for Bill Paxton after this movie. And it's just like, okay, Bill Paxton was right, but Bill, you want to stand that guy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, ex well, exactly. Because it's, the whole thing is like, he's right for the wrong. He's right because ostensibly he's a coward. Yeah. yeah. But he's not wrong. Well, he, he's like this burnt out soldier uh, trope from, from Vietnam. He's yeah. almost like Dennis Hopper. Exactly. You know? Kind of shell-shocked. Yeah. Kind of. You can kind of yeah. see the Dennis Hopper in his performance, you know. But that's mm -hmm. uh, initially that's the only person who agrees with Ripley. Yeah. Who also is a hundred percent correct. Nuke it from yep. space. All right. Well, the, second, like the second the second line from uh, Carter Burke I wanted to bring in is, "What if that ship didn't exist? Did you ever think about that? I didn't know. So now if I went and made a major security situation out of it, everybody steps in. Administration steps in. There's no exclusive rights for anybody. So I made a decision, and it was a bad call, Ripley. It was a very bad call. When he's kind of justifying the fact that you know." Not knowing a hundred percent that Ripley's uh, Ripley was correct, not knowing a hundred percent that like you know that there really was an alien species on this planet, he he still he was like you have to think about the bottom line. Like this is a like do you, do you really want no exclusive rights for anybody? And after the um after this week of uh, Elon Musk getting the the you know person of the person of the year and knowing about you know his what? whole wait like, wait uh, what that, that happened he did you didn't no, know no. that. Oh, wow. I've been kind of out of the news cycle, but I did Thank notice you. that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, ha that's cool. funny. And it was like, Ugh. oh no, that's for real. Oh shit. How? Oh. How? Crypto? I don't know. Because he, he blew up, he, he accidentally blew up his, uh, a rocket <laughs> on the launch pad. Innovative. <laughs> but, um, yeah. listen, yeah. I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have done a, a, any kind of deep dive into it, but I've been doing this, uh, I've been producing Kenzo's new show. So like we end up talking about political stuff, which it's been a it's been a very jarring, uh, you know, move away from just doing this show into like having to do with like a political show again. And I'm like, ah, fuck. Yeah, let's mize on scene, more mize on douche. You Go got ahead. you got to keep up with it now, huh? <laughs> so all right, wow. so I wanted to bring this uh, this clip of of James Cameron, kind of bringing it back to the movie itself and the process of making it. 
I, I watched the uh, making of documentary. This isn't from that, but this is James Cameron talking about how everybody had pretty much told him not to make this movie um, because they, they felt like, uh, you know, interestingly, anything that he did well, Ridley Scott would have, um, anything, anything he did well, you know, Ridley Scott would have gotten credit because he made the original movie and like this is his kind of universe. Anything that flopped in this movie, everybody kind of that was advising James Cameron at the time, who was like one of the like the most up and coming promising filmmakers at this moment. Um, they were like, listen, if this movie flops, everyone will blame you. If this movie succeeds, everyone will be like, wow, really Scott's still a genius, huh? So I, I you know, as someone that wants to be a director, as someone that like enjoys writing, because he he like writes his own projects, which is kind of an amazing thing. Um, Titanic. You know, <laughs> you know so, so I, I liked this, I liked this clip. Because it kind of shows that, uh, you know, if you really want to nerd out and people are like, listen, don't nerd out this way, you, you know, and you, and you push it, like, you might succeed. I am as, as this, you know, ridiculous fanboy turned director now wanting to do the sequel to, you know, Ridley Scott's, you know, much, much vaunted uh, alien film. And, and everybody tried to talk me out of it. They said, well, don't do that because, you know, anything that's good in your movie will be attributed to Ridley and anything that's bad will be attributed to you. It's a no-win scenario. And I said, but yeah, but I really want to do it. It'll be cool. It was like this ridiculous, stupid thing. It wasn't, it wasn't strategic at all, but I knew it would be cool because what Ridley had set in motion was the creation of a world, the creation of a, um, a kind of a, a, a visual set of values, you know, the, the kind of the biomechanoid Giger uh, designs and the, the kind of lived-in future, the blue-collar future, where, it, where what is happening on the screen feels so real and so palpable because the characters are so recognizable. You know, th these were new ideas then. Science fiction hadn't done that. A little bit in Star Wars with the kind of used future look, but, but Alien was a remarkable film, and it, it influenced a generation of, of filmmakers, especially those that like science fiction and fantasy, and I was one of them. And I, I you know, I was as much doing an homage to what Ridley had created as, a, as I was making my own movie, but I did set out to do both in a balance. Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. I didn't think I could out, outdo Alien for pure shock. I don't think anybody could. You know, uh, it certainly has been tried a great number of times, and no, nobody's really done it. I mean, going into a movie theater on opening night, not knowing what to expect, the mystery, the wonder, and then the sudden shock and terror that that film created—you can't beat that. So I had to come up with, I had to come up with an end run around that that would be equally entertaining for an audience but in a different way and i knew i could do action i knew i could do white knuckle action that i could i could turn the screw tighter and tighter in an action sequence so i figured all right let's do that let's jump off from the from the horror premise into what ultimately becomes an action film Run! you know i don't think ridley liked the fact that i came along and and kind of you know trampled around in 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 his little world that that he'd created and and now as a filmmaker having made the term, two Terminator films, then seeing others work in the same sandbox. I know what that what that feels like. I can't believe that's what he looks like. <laughs> I, I didn't know he looked like that. I, and, and I gotta be honest, I didn't even know that James Cameron actually directed Aliens. I thought really Scott did. There you go. That's yeah. how good, That this is why I say this a lot, that Aliens is the perfect example of a sequel actually maybe being better than like, it's it's like, predecessor like what comes Ooh. before it bold word I, mean, I don't 
I don't know if I'd say I don't know if I'd say better, but I think different and different yeah, enough that it really genres. works. Yeah, because they switch genres, I, th I think they're able to actually kind of H R Giger. <laughs> H R Giger. H R Giger. Just continuing the bit from last time. Go ahead. <laughs> By the way, they did not. They did not consult HR uh, Giger on on any of on anything that no. happened in this movie. No, they did have. Uh, oh shoot! I just forgot the uh, the guy who did it. He was, was also incredibly talented in his own way. And they already paid. Well, I uh, Predator actually came out of this movie. They um they they had the actual initial design of Predator from um, like from the sketches. And they're just like, oh, that's cool. And they started kind of developing it uh, on the side, and then somehow the movie got made. Well, the the thing that I was the thing that I was thinking about when I watched this, and I didn't know that this was the same person, but I was thinking about um, being a kid and watching uh, Jurassic Park, and like you know that that movie came out when I was a kid, and like I really. Um, so Stan Stan Winston, who had designed yes. the, um, the the Velociraptors and 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 all the dinosaurs, really, like his team had designed everything in Jurassic Park. Right. You know, years before, had been designing um, all everything in Alien or Aliens. You know, so this movie. So when uh, when she first sees the the Queen and it turns around that corner and there's that terrifying moment where the Queen kind of looks at her and and the body tilts. I was thinking about um, when everyone was hiding in Jurassic Park and the Velociraptors were coming after them. And it does that tilting where it just looks at them through the, you know, as it's, as it's walking over and realizing mm -hmm. that it was the same, um, it was the same designers and like the same people working with those things. I was like, oh, that makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. And Stan Winston is, is incredibly talented. I mean, uh, he was oh, yeah. so good at what he did, like with special effects and, and practical effects. Like he, he managed to, you know, take something that wasn't his initially and actually like do something pretty incredible with what he had mm -hmm. because he, uh, you know, he had to create more you know he had to create like a whole colony of aliens and a queen and eggs and all that stuff yeah so I, I have two clips that we can talk about for this i watched that the making of uh i watched the making of aliens last night and it was really fun to watch to be honest but um this is uh this is talking about the alien suits and then i also have after we talk about this i have uh you know when, when the team that he was working with is talking about testing out the queen to like see if it, it worked and both clips are really interesting i think um i can't wait to see him design changes when he went from alien to aliens was the fact that the the technically the alien suits were, were far simplified, and that was in an effort to gain them maximum mobility. Cameron is, is, knew exactly how he was going to shoot these things, and he knew how it was going to be a, sort of an interplay between shadow and light on these things. And that was the whole element of the aliens that he wanted to get across on, on film, was just seeing the movement of, of living creatures coming out of the dark and into the light, moving through the light, and never really focusing, never really studying them. And, and probably that was directly connected to the fact that there were hordes of aliens this time and not just one that we were focused on. We started building in L.A., but we'd build the suits and, and you know, Cameron would like go into the uh, hallway with a guy in a suit and he'd turn the camera upside down, you know, and we'd look at him. What's he doing? You know, he videotape a guy crawling on the floor upside down. 
and then go, hey, what do you think of this? And then there it is, of course. Oh, yeah, crawling in the ceiling. You know, yeah, great. So he was very interested in expanding the capabilities of the creature. What Jim wanted to do with the alien warriors was to give them more character, not necessarily in the design of what they looked like, but how they could act, what their performance was. And in order to do that, we had to redesign how that suit was made. Jim's script had so much more action, things bouncing off walls and doing stuff. So we had to play with the anatomy, camera techniques, reverse shots, looking up, you know, shooting down on wires. We had levels of alien warrior suits. Some of them were as simple as spandex dance skins with, with very rough pieces on that would just catch highlights so that men could really fly around very quickly. We had a whole range. We had dancers, we had stuntmen, we had um, just body performers that would all do different things in these suits. And then they were painted very starkly. They were, they were very contrasty, you know, high, bright, hot highlights and, and dark shadows. And when you look at them in full light, they almost had the feeling of, uh, um, you know, this, uh, like a skeleton costume you would wear for Halloween with the just painted bones. But when you put it in the right environment and when you lit it right, it was, it was just the coolest thing. At that point, then it just became more of, of, a, of a feeling of an image rather than, rather than really focusing on a single, uh, you know, a single character. We built them in such a way that they would be more durable. They could go on and off quickly and that they wouldn't have uh, pieces that might be more susceptible to breaking. And, you know, for instance, the dome on the, on the alien, uh, Jim just wanted to remove it, thought it would be, you know, a hassle that was afraid of it, you know, cracking uh, or, or, or be, having to be replaced, you know, we, we'd have to cut and, you know, switch the dome or whatever. We tried to recreate the original Giger look and we were so proud of it. We're like, yeah, that looks so clear and cool. And he's like, take that off. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Beyond the men in the suits, we also had a dozen eight foot tall mannequins slash puppets that were posable into pretty much any static form you wanted. And we could, by using wires and rods, do some limited puppeteering on them. But they were able to be posed in very insectoid poses, like a praying mantis kind of effect, crouching on the roof of the APC as Ripley pulling out of the, uh, um, the atmosphere plant and things like that. So that Jim could ask for inhuman, impossible man in a suit poses and he could get them on film. Damn right. Film that shit. It's kind of amazing looking though, right? Because it, it looks yeah. at yeah. once like a person and not at all like a person. It's how the movement is. Yeah. That's why they had to get people who were flexible in a way so that they could move a certain yeah. way. But like looking at this, I'm like, man, the new alien movies that they got out now can't compare to this because of the fact it's real people dressed up. It's practical. It looks more real, more lifelike. Now they just use CGI, and it's not. It's not the it's same. It doesn't have, yes, it doesn't have that same impact. Like right now, that looks terrifying. Mm -hmm. But these days, nothing. It doesn't stuff like that. Just doesn't scare anymore, in my opinion. One project I think that's used, um, that's been great at using a, a combination, I think, of CGI a lot of times and, uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and like the actual, you know, people in, in costume, um, 
is uh, Walking Dead's done a great job at times of doing that. And Gail Ann Hurd, who's, uh, you know, the executive producer of this movie, is also like one of the, the overseeing producers of the Walking Dead universe. She, she, she's done so much stuff, too. It's incredible. Yeah, well, she's James Cameron's wife, or was. Or was it? Yeah. yeah, was at the time yeah. of this movie. Yeah. So it's interesting. She did a lot of work on this movie, too. And um, I, I think understanding, I don't think that you could, you necessarily have to say, well, I, I prefer your CGI to real, like, like real, like effects work, but like knowing where the balance is um, between the two, I think is really important. And, you know, the, the fact that there is a balance that's, that's, um, that's, that's pretty crucial. Uh, it was interesting realizing that I was like, where do I know her from? And I'm like, oh shit, like walking dead. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, for me, Aliens is the perfect example of like, in, you know, in the original, in the Ridley Scott movie Alien, like it's so crazy that, you know, she's locked on this ship with this thing, this crazy thing that like, you know, is seemingly indefeatable and like just utterly unlike anything we know. But the thing what makes Aliens interesting is like, what if there was a bunch of them? So add in like, you know, your Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead style attitude. But they move fast, and their blood is acid, and their eggs can impregnate you. Yeah. Okay. No, and, and, that, and, that, and that, it really is a zombie yeah. movie. That's it terrifying. Is. It's got the same mechanics of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That's I. I remember watching this when I was young, and my grandfather would have it on, and I remember watching the scene where the thing's trying to impregnate, you know, Ripley and Newton. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I'm like, this is scary. What is my and, grandpa into? <laughs> Yeah, oh, he loves scary movies and sci-fi. But you know what's interesting? Hentai. If anyone has ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, do you guys, if you ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's that one episode where they had to do, like, the fake child, like, health science with an egg. And yeah, the yeah, egg yeah, thing yeah. comes out, and it looked like the face huggers. Because mm -hmm. I was Pretty like, terrible. oh, my God, it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. Eric, so a lot of that inspiration really like lived on in other projects where they would tackle sci-fi and horror. Yeah. The, the one Hugely thing influential, I, yeah. The one thing I really remember from uh watching Aliens was this was the, the the one of the few times my parents actually let me eat in front of the TV. Um and <laughs> Uh, we actually had dinner in front of the TV that this uh, said one we're night. serving you squid as a family yeah. <laughs> spaghetti. So oh no. <laughs> I I was just chowing down on my spaghetti though. I was just so engrossed in it. Um uh, uncharacteristically speechless about that. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's uh it, it's it's interesting after watching Arrival too, right? Like they have the, the giant squid aliens in this movie. I mean both both this one and the original alien, kind of the face huggers, which kind of remind me of like a very similar uh design. Not in the sense of like obviously in Arrival they're giant squids, but like it's the same kind of creature design, right? Like the, the tentacles come out and like grasp your face and um so you know, I, I think aliens as squids is a is an interesting uh I think segue for the show. Like um or like or as that kind of creature, right? Like that kind of uh uh design rather than kind of like the classic like we haven't seen very many uh, watching through this the classic like humanoid alien that you know we kind of think of first and foremost like the, the gray aliens i guess is what they technically call them um we haven't watched any of those movies like well and i think 
also, you know, there, there's it's, it's a second stage danger, right? Because it's not just that these things will kill you. It's that, like, you will be host to something against your will. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, like that's, I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're going to keep you alive, but only so that you can... Yeah. Ugh, it's like Texas. This torture. <laughs> yeah. Serves them. Texas? I, I, oh really, I really want to... Please give it. birth without watching. Can we, like, <laughs> make, not, can we make not the ready alien for that argument? One, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's, you know what? Let's, let's tell pro-lifers. Have you ever seen Alien or Aliens? Do you know the whole process of what it's like? <laughs> Do we force these humans to, like, have some weird things sit on their face, shove eggs down their bodies, and then, like, they explode? And, like, should we be forcing people to do that? Watch how fast that law changes. I mean, you can definitely go into the, like, you know, making the argument that with the corporation, Paul Reiser's character, like, being okay with her, you know, getting impregnated by one of these things, like, or getting, whatever you want to say, they lay their eggs in her, and, like, she's the carrier back to them so that they, the, you know, main yeah. station, so they can, like, study the whole thing. It's like... And, like, the nine-year-old girl, too, like... like yeah, bodies they were kind of serving a purpose for children. culture instead of their own, you know, constitution. Yeah, I, like that whole thing. But I wasn't going to bring it up. But now you said that thing. About that. A, there's a pro-choice really argument your made here now. So hmm. it usually is. But I mean, <laughs> I, I think that you know, making a connecting line like um, invasion of the body snatchers, snatching bodies, uh, mm -hmm. um, a similar process of kind of that you know against your will. Um, I mean, you know, in that sense, duplicating you, but like, <laughs> again, like against your will, laying eggs in you is like the next terrifying level of that. Like, all right, like everybody around you is like suddenly du a duplication and you're like, well, that's kind of, you know, that kind of sucks. Like they're literally growing out of a pod. You're like, well, that definitely sucks. But in this case, it's like you get the eggs like shoved down your throat and have to yeah. like, go through that process. <laughs> yeah. It's far yeah. more terrifying. It's just more active instead of like, whoa, it's, that sucks. It's like, yeah. no, and, then you, and then you wake up it's thinking violent. fine, that everything's good, and then something bursts yeah. out of your chest and you're dead. I mean, like, yeah. like uh, the, the only time that I've ever actually kind of experienced something like this, I hit a deer once. The deer went flying straight up in the air. And my adrenaline was pumping so much, I convinced myself that I didn't actually hit a deer. Like, that didn't happen. And, and um, I, I spent, so, you know, what seemed like several minutes just sitting there catching my breath like what the hell did happen if i didn't hit a deer um but the deer went straight up in the air that's impossible and it didn't come down and what's going on and then finally the deer just comes out and hits and i'm like oh adrenaline <laughs> fight or flight you know what i have to say to you about that <laughs> get out <laughs> but the whole thing is, is is that kind of denial of of uh something terrible happening is is very much like after the uh the face hugger comes off your face um yeah you know, I know you're trying years. to pivot right now, but I, I I think we should go back to this deer story. <laughs> Were you under the influence of any narcotics at the time? No, it was in the or... middle of the day. Uh, okay. I was uh, uh, yeah, Tommy Boy a very suburban place outside of DC. Were you singing along to the carpenters? No, I was just. I literally was like like just off a freeway, like 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 you could see the freeway from where I was at. Yeah. Um, and this deer comes out of nowhere. As I'm like trying to make sure that I can make a safe turn. Better to have it during the day than at night. Yeah. No, but then was like the deer, the deer... was the deer in fact a homeless man? Are you telling me <laughs> that, that time? That time no, he, the he cops showed up and shot him. So <laughs> cops don't usually shoot homeless people on the side of the street. Isn't this the plot for thinner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Um, I, I just want some clarification cool. there. Thank you. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the second clip. I, I have no further I, questions. Uh, oh, great. That I introed <laughs> of of Andy hitting this deer. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is uh talking about testing the queen, and I found this uh you know, you know spaghetti while yes, I was queen. <laughs> One does not simply <laughs> test the queen, but apparently they did. There was no conversation to involve H.R. Giger. He had already designed the core creatures from uh, the original Alien. The only thing that wasn't designed from Alien was the Queen Alien. Jim had designed that. Stan and Jim sort of sequestered themselves off and they tried different approaches to how to put people inside suits facing the wrong direction so that the knee joints operated backwards, two guys back to back, uh, one guy laying on his chest, one guy laying on his back. And they, they literally had a design battle going back and forth, trying to not one up each other, but to advance each other's ideas, take the good points and run with it. The coolest thing was to go to the first full scale mock-up just to get an idea of the size of it. And that was done with just with the quickest, the quickest techniques ever of just grabbing uh, foam rubber, painting some of it, wrapping the rest of it in, in, in black uh, polypropylene garbage bags. There were a big pair of, of these monster hands that, that Stan had been developing for another film um, that were reproduced in foam rubber. And we had two stuntmen come over and they were hung from a crane and we wrapped them all up and added legs and big uh, puppeteering rods on those legs. And we shot video and stills of that test and the idea there was to see what the total mobility was of this thing crane raise up all right bob the crane up and down just bob it up and down not not so much just a little bit like it's shifting its weight okay try to keep them palms down there we go okay spread the, the arms out as wide as you can go Two men hanging from a crane, each of them with their arms, big long extensions, um, legs that were operated by control rods. And the result was, I mean, you look at it and, and it is what it is. It's, it's, you know, it's cut foam and it's plastic trash bags, but, but it made an impression. It definitely made an impression and showed that, that it was the size, the relationship and the technique was going to work. Okay, that's a cut. That was as far as we took it here in the States. And when we got to London and set up shop over there, that's when, when the final work on the full-size queen began, which started with uh, you know, measurements, life cast, sculptures, and all of that. Very cool. Um, nice. Yeah. They didn't include you know, our good friend HR in this, though. <laughs> I think it makes sense though. I mean, he'd done like the the like initial design work of everything and given like the aesthetic and then, you know, the rest of that team was plenty talented. They were able to like take that and run with it and yeah. create but, something really cool. Yeah, Have a good not, baseline. Not to make the uh, argument cuz uh, one of the things I was saying in the the uh when we talked about Alien, um I, I brought up that, you know, like Giger was a artist and Stan Winston, I could, you know, you could argue is a artist of special effects. I mean, you know, his movies are phenomenal from, from the thing all the way to, you know, Pretty the consistently rad. Yeah. 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 No. yeah. So, so, so I'm, I'm trying not to knock him because he's, he's not an artist in the same way, but he, he, you know, he, he's not, um, 
uh, he 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 he's he's but he is an artist in a in a in a particular way, and not every special effects person is at that caliber. Um, so so uh, I would typically you know want to say like yes normally i'd be like yeah bring back the original guy because he knows what he's doing but in this case stan winston uh, it's he knew know, what he was just, doing yeah this is a yeah i mean there's very few different people like like when, if you go from somebody who who's like you know doing one movie like like uh uh giger versus like saying bringing in like um uh Jim Henson Productions, for uh, for instance, because they also know what they're doing. Like, like wait, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine Jim Henson, like Jim Henson, Jim Henson's aliens, Muppet <laughs> aliens? Let's go! It's not too late, is it? <laughs> Would have been a little more like Labyrinth, I suppose. Oh. Aliens, aliens, dot dot dot, all Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't wait for Frank Oz to voice the Queen. Oh <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I think that. I, I had this thought tonight watching it, and um, the first movie, obviously, we talked about this last time, is kind of like a slasher movie, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. there's one alien, it's stalking them, it's killing everybody one by one. It's essentially like Halloween, but, you know, like a, like Space. an alien version of that. I mean, um, you guys put it perfectly. This one's like a zombie movie. Like, they're crawling through the walls, they're doing everything. So it's it's interesting to have these two, I think, uh, subgenres that they're they're both kind of um like inspired by i guess or like you know creating and and i found that fascinating about this movie yeah but it, it also is... calls for a different art art direction or a different... well, I mean, yeah. like so i'll go back to what i said right that i think that this is like one of the definitional action movies and especially in a genre that we now think of as like laden with tropes like aliens can help create that and in a way that um you know we didn't necessarily realize at the time like think of the scene where like the aliens are there, you know, they they're on radar. I don't see anything, man. I don't see anything. It's like, oh, they're above yeah. us. Like yeah. it's such a small thing, but the yeah. time you're like, ah like, oh shit, how they get through there? They're smart. <laughs> they have intelligence. Yeah. And asking these questions to yourself too. Walk around and find out. Asking these questions to yourself too, like, are they inside of them? Like, are, is the alien going to burst out of them? Is it like underneath them? Like, you have it, there's, there's so many because I, you know, as I said, like I watched this for the first time, I think, or at least the first alien I watched as a, as a kid. Like, I, I, you know, I don't like. So I, I was like watching it as if I'd watched it for the first time, um, and and like thinking to myself, like, where's the, where are they gonna like? Are they gonna find out that like are all of them gonna chest burst at the same time? Like. Or are the aliens going to come through? Like, is there a grate that, that, that nobody's looking at? Like, or like, I, like I don't know. There's just so many possible places. So yeah, your brain's something kind of. And that's the one scene that I remember that sticks out when I like growing up and watching it for the first time is because the music. As well, they're going up, and it's like they're crawling up, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, how, I'm like, asking, I'm like, pop up. How do they know to do this? He's like, just, just get back to your math work. You're not supposed to be watching this. <laughs> I can't help it. It's so entertaining. Can't help it. It's so good. Yep. My dear it's boy, did you ask a, do you ask a bird how it flies or a fish how it swims? No, sir, you don't. <laughs> they do it because they were born to do it. I don't know. It was my, I was, I was, I was listening Parasitic to Parasitic uh, aliens. That's all they yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know any better, man. They don't know any better, man. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, what do you think about that? 
what do I think about the? Any of that. No, is... I think I agree. I, but I just I just love the. I don't know. I think I think this movie contributed to me liking action movies, where I didn't really expect uh, that to be a genre that I would <laughs> normally be into. <laughs> but uh, but no, I I. Whatever brought James Cameron the idea to like mingle those, like interweave the action into the sci-fi with the story, like support it. I like it. Because this is like this and is like one of your stand out from the original too, which I think made yeah, it. Yeah, you had to make a, a movie titled Aliens. Yeah, for sure, as a sequel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Although I, I will say, for booking purposes, <laughs> nightmare. Because <laughs> we're kids here going back because we're doing both the movies, right? And then, and, and mm-hmm. like remembering who was on what was not easy. Yeah, is it alien or aliens? And of course, one, but I think you say, like, why don't they just call it alien too? And the no, answer like, is T-O-O. confusing, like, no, but like, not now, it's like, all right, it's it's. There's a bunch of them, but like, well, I think there's you know, Alien Three, still... Alien Resurrection, which I mean, well, my opinion, that's technically, when... Alien Three is Alien Cubed. Alien Cubed. <laughs> alien to the that's when things power. start to kind of go downhill for the for the franchise, in my opinion. But yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, like they didn't slouch on directors either, because like, uh, you know, David Fincher did the third one. Um, I forget the French guy who did the fourth one, but the guy who did City of Lost Children. Uh, he's fantastic, and Delicatessen, which which I love. I love Delicatessen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And well, almost, they, I like all those movies better than the Alien movie. <laughs> yeah, but but I think I think part of the problem was the fact that the studio was basically acting as translator. So you know he's just like yeah, uh, you know Jacques Cousteau, and they're like yeah, no, he's saying he really wants to. Um, uh, we're going to do a dog this time. Like no, that was an Alien Three. No, never mind. Um, <laughs> so the Resurrection, Alien Resurrection, was directed by the same guy who did Amelie. Yes, okay. he did do Amelie. That's right. Wow, what what a contrast! No, he, he, I feel like phenomenal. his name is like I mean, right there. I don't think of it. Remember when that goofy ass white alien was like leaving gnomes around? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> well, the thing that makes sense about the the transition between these two movies is that obviously there's like a shitload of eggs uh, in Alien, and they like end what up, you know. Sense? I think but, that was the uh, subtitle in Japanese is a shitload of eggs, by the way. But it's a no, Japanese, like, so it's not cool. But, but like, mean, you know, so they bring one, you know, the facehugger jumps out and they have one alien kind of chasing them around the, 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 you know, the ship. And then in this movie, kind of, they're just on the planet and it's like, oh, well, what, like, what is this planet like? Like, you know what I mean? Like, does they would does have it, to have aliens does it, does it like the same movies I do? No, but like, no, like, what, what, what is this planet like? Like, what happens when all of this stuff is happening and kind of stay on the planet, like colonize the planet. Like does this continue? And there's all these different questions that you can have based on the fact that the first movie, like they end up kind of taking one sample home with them yep. rather than kind of, you know, uh, confronting the, the, the uh, queen hive in, in her nest. Um. <laughs> it, it feels like every single time I go on Twitter and, Hashtag K hive somebody and, and you know I'm taking on the Oscar queen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta get the flamethrower. Gotta get the flamethrower. They've been awfully quiet these days. <laughs> anyway, can we talk about the heart of this movie, like the relationship between Ripley and Newt? 
I'm shocked it's taken us almost an hour to do so. Please do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that... <laughs> well, we had to do all, like, you know, the pre-production stuff. We, we had to fit in all the weird stories of Andy hitting animals. So, yeah. <laughs> or not. Don't forget or maybe not hitting animals. I mean, like, it, she, she takes in, like, a motherly role. Like, she knows, like... Yeah. And she didn't have to, but she almost immediately does it because she knows what the what it's like with these aliens and like how terrifying they are and so it's just it's just incredible to see her have a like a motherly very guardian protecting relationship with this innocent child who could become a victim we know she has her own daughter but we but we don't see her you know in the pre in the original and in this movie up to that point we don't really see her being super vulnerable and like building you know tight emotional connections with anybody. So yeah, it definitely stands out. And it is more like, uh, it is more, as you know, you're right. Um, it is more like a slasher movie that way. The first one, whereas this one, mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, you get a little more insight into who Ripley is as a person, more while also getting a, a lot of insight in how absolutely screwed up the future space capitalism is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like in a this real is, uh... intrinsic and like unimpeachable way of like, no, these guys fucking suck. <laughs> this, this, is the, yeah. this is the actress who played uh, Newt. Um, well, it starts with Gail and Heard, but this is the actress who played Newt uh, talking about her relationship with Sigourney Weaver, who apparently she developed a nice, uh, a nice, a nice bromance with um, <laughs> throughout the filming Aww. of this. I love that. She and I really bonded because everyone left us and we used to always joke and say we were the orphans nobody wanted. You know, we were left there. They did all the parts that everyone was there and then they left and we did all of our parts for a couple months after that. And she would do different things with me and like our dressing rooms were right next door to each other. And her husband would come and visit every once in a while. I knew she would be sad when he left. And so I'd bring her flowers to work. For me, it wasn't as big a deal. I just didn't see my family every single day. I just would see them on the weekends. And sometimes my brother was allowed to have off of school for a week and he'd come up and spend time on the set. There was an incredible bond by the end of the film between Sigourney and Carrie, especially given that Carrie had no experience as as an actor prior to doing Aliens. She hadn't even, from my recollection, appeared in a school play. And yet she was so perfect as Newt. I remember one scene and it was at the beginning when Sigourney first found me and I'm in my little nest as they called it. And I had all this stuff around me and everything. And that was the only scene. I remember Chris was on set at the time and James Cameron would not let my brother or my mom anywhere near it because my mom was always there where I could see her and she wasn't allowed to be there because I had to feel like I had no one. And it was amazing how I did feel that way just because knowing my mom wasn't just right there. They were offset and they were allowed to come on after that. But I remember I was kind of upset. Right now. The cocoon part, that was probably one of the most tedious parts of filming that we had. It was all made out of fiberglass and we had to do everything except the actual breaking apart of it over and over and over again and all they had was this little tiny hole and I'd have to crawl through the hole and there was like a, little, a wooden stool covered with the fiberglass and I'd have to sit on that and I couldn't actually rest myself like my feet on any part of it because it might break it and they couldn't redo it again exactly how it was so I'd have to sit there and then I'd crawl out and that took days and with all the slime which took forever to clean off it was it was horrible and then Sigourney when she actually had to rip it off she had to do it just right so that 
we got it done right the first time and she cut her hands all up with the fiberglass and everything. That was, it was really bad. Grab onto me. Hold on. No. No. That was another scene that kind of lasted forever. Actually, going down the chute part was the coolest. They had made a sign and they hung it on the chute that said, um, adults one pound, children 50p. And I would love just when we'd hang, I'd hang up the top and then I'd get to go down. It was this huge, like three-story chute and it had like a little bend in it and had a big old mat at the bottom. So sometimes I would kind of mess up a little bit on purpose so that I could go down and come right back up and try it again. <laughs> I totally do that. <laughs> So she sounded like she had a lot of fun on set. Yeah. Isn't this the only movie that she did? Yep. How did she get a role in a major movie without having done any kind of acting before? Just cute looking kid, I guess. I, I mean, she's cute. I'll her give her that. Yeah. Her parents knew somebody? Yeah. That it's gotta be, be, right? Yeah. Maybe. But like, it sounded like she had a lot of fun. And I remember that scene. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they used fiberglass for that. Like, damn. That's wild. Yeah, yeah the fiberglass will. Can't believe they would do that. You up. Like, yeah. to be clear, for those that, for those of us that are the professional managerial class that have done work with their hands, um, no, like, yeah. it, it will screw you up, man. Like, that's yeah. fiberglass is. Yeah. Like that causes like all kinds of problems. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. nice that she yeah. had really fond yeah. memories of being on set. Like, no, like doesn't seem like she has any regrets. Mm -hmm. yeah, which is impressive because like the rest of the uh, uh, crew had problems with uh, Cameron because he was used to doing um, the guerrilla style filmmaking uh, that that um, uh, he, he used for Terminator and Piranha 2 uh, for this. Uh, and this was like a nice studio. Uh, the definition of Piranha, Piranha 2. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, I mean that. that Sorry, was just, Eddie. I, I should just, you know, my disdain for Piranha Two interrupted your point. Please continue. Um, but no, it, it was it was. Um, uh, you know, Cameron was used to doing this this guerrilla style filmmaking, uh, and so he's putting the ca uh, the crew through like twelve hour days. Yeah. So so it's nice to hear that the actors actually uh, had a good time, uh, especially especially the young ones. Somebody did. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because uh, they actually had to like stop production because because uh, people were mad at him for for like what he was putting them through, which yeah. understandable, but like you know, yeah, legit. <laughs> I wonder what they think about what's going on nowadays. Yeah, no, no joke. <laughs> yeah, no, no joke at all. So, uh, do, do we do we like the Alien Queen as like which I now feel like everybody's like, oh yeah, the Alien Queen. Duh, everyone knows the Alien Queen. But this this is the first time that you're like, oh, there isn't just like the aliens there's like a queen a mother like the queen who is like big bad 20 bitch. times bigger and like you know an ants ants and uh bees and the, the, a lot of times in the insect kingdom like yeah that's that's the one that like you don't fuck with and yeah. also everyone will come after you as well so i mean do we do we think that um do we think that works like uh christina what do you what do you think we'll go through first yeah i i think it works because like again you had to expand on the fact that there was more than one alien aliens where did they come from but also too i'm still i'm always i've always been confused by the the process the metamorphosis i'm like so there's face huggers and then there's also ones like yeah the that are eggs, that are this, that are that. So, so I always got confused by like the life mm -hmm. cycle of these aliens. So 
uh, knowing yeah, that like a, was it rolling sorry to wrap but like royal jelly like right that's what they do with bees how you become a queen is you have the royal jelly like is, yeah is I think queen? so you know but like it took me like it's some like deep like research to like figure out like why is there a queen how come there's eggs and yet the eggs become face uh huggers and then the face huggers lay eggs and this and that and I'm like who the I'm like how does that even happen but like I, I like the fact that they included, you know, like a queen, because I mean, that kind of becomes a reoccurring theme between the queen and Ripley in future, you know, movies. Queen v. Queen. Yes. yes. Erica, how about you? Mm -hmm. Queen A. Um, I, I also, for a long time, I guess I just didn't think about it that hard, but I also wasn't really sure, like, how does this life cycle work? It kind of reminds me of like how ants function, but then mm -hmm. there's like an extra step for the <clears throat> gestation you know like they've they've like enhanced how ants work how ant colonies work but i, I mean, don't you know think, I you like think it's like the anything... caterpillar butterfly like uh, uh was it the moth and the um the other one like uh yeah. like you know a cocoon chrysalis but like it's yeah, having yeah. cocoon or chrysalis is sure yeah it's chest yeah yeah so it's kind of an amalgamation but um What's all the cool insect stuff we can steal? <laughs> but I'm trying to think of like parasitic bugs that I, I, I don't, I can't, well, I guess termites, but those aren't parasitic to humans. They're just well, a there's, <laughs> There are parasites for insects. That have queens in their, I, I've. Well, there's I that one that like takes over, uh, like. I guess actual mind control. Was it Bonnie talking about that? Somebody's talking about I, that. I think that was a mold, though. If you watch Legion, right, it is mold. Yes, there oh. was a scene. All roads back to Legion, Chrissy. Yes, when there was a scene where Lenny's telling David about this fungus that infects ants, it controls their central yep. nervous system and then comes bursting out of their head like a branch, and yeah. it takes over the ant, but it also kills them, and and gets more ants. When people say love, that's what I think of. <laughs> now with Andy, it's all roads lead back to Stargate. So it's okay to have an all roads lead back to. We established that last episode. Uh, Do I need but, to watch that before the next one? No. no. Stargate? I, I still haven't seen it. The, the movie or the show? Uh, Either. Show. <laughs> ah, I'm behind. Watch the movie, skip the show. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed the show, but like... Uh, that's a whole other. There's better. There's better shows that do that now. Like it's... yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was. It, it was uh, a. God damn, a... we're talking about Stargate. Fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you kept it up, man. You brought it up. It's your fault. But but uh, I was just gonna say quickly. It, it, it was it was a hole where Star Trek uh, didn't exist, uh, yeah. where we had Stargate. So that was the 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 beauty of it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really what Stargate is. Is like if you didn't have Star Trek, it's something else to watch. Uh, there you go that's it that's the all right. so i was like the fact that with aliens this this is this is what i call uh, there, there's a special echelon of, of films or movies or anything really where everything you need to know is in the title and what i think of is, is the planet of the apes phenomenon yeah. hey what's this movie about aliens and yeah. like pluralization is very important because let's remember first movie ostensibly a slasher movie one scary as hell alien stuck in a you know stuck in a spaceship with them now it's like there's a bunch of them again going back to the zombie movie thing and i really kind of want to revisit that a little bit like you know dawn of the dead dawn of the dead yeah <laughs> uh like, oh, dead. no there's more of them yeah like the fact that 
look, just one of these suckers, you know, took out this entire crew, right? So the fact that there's like, you know, dozens, hundreds of them is like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah. So entire developed colony, yeah. Yeah. What's Ripley? Ripley, So they're good. You just have to listen to her. Right. She's nuking from space. She's 100% right. Get the fuck out of there, nuking from space. (laughs) It's like, like, listen listen. to women. Believe women. (laughs) There's so many new messaging in this movie. (laughs) You're right. But I mean, that character was written for a male actor originally, which I find really interesting. But I'm glad they kept that good vibe going where she was like just a regular person and didn't like fit into. Like that female stereotype in any yeah, way. like like not truly feminine or not truly even masculine, just regular yeah. woman. And which I I like the fact that they didn't really go heavy on with like gendered roles. I mean, there was sexism because obviously there still would be sexism in the future. <laughs> and there's sexism you know, in the first movie. Let's let's be honest. Yep, right. yep, yeah. very heavily on the sexism. And uh, but just listen to Ripley she knows but also too with Sigourney Weaver <laughs> I can't it, it, am I the only one who sees her as Ripley like when I see her in like other movies oh, like, she's like a rom-com she's Ripley forget it yeah when she's when she's playing yeah. like an evil comedic character in vamps I'm like Ripley I mean there's that great Netflix show it's a French show called Call My Agent I, I love it and she, Sigourney Weaver actually has a pretty big part in it as herself and I still see her as Ripley, even though she's playing herself yeah. in a show ostensibly about actors and their agents. And I'm like, no, it's Ripley. Yeah. yeah. I just love her so much. Good. Yeah. Like even, even in the, 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 the uh, Avatar, it's Ripley. Ugh. It's Ripley. The Defenders. Oh, I forgot she was in that. <laughs> I forgot yeah. Avatar existed. I was happy for a minute. She did, she did, she did, she did this one like comedy with like Ray Liotta, which bombed. And I'm like, Ripley? What are you doing? You're playing. You're playing a, a con artist. She's what did you think of Dave then? She. And you can tell you know, she tries to break away from playing Ripley. But I'm sorry, Sigourney. If you ever see this, you are Ripley. Like Ghost uh, Ghostbusters, though. I, I think is probably the one film where she kind of did break away from Ripley. Yeah. Um. That's probably I, the only out of everything she's ever done. Ghostbusters. I mean, to be typecast for like a role that like defined a type of role. Yeah, because think about what was it, Dawn of the Dead, Andy? That, that we uh, were t- look at the features, and they basically were talking about how uh, um, uh, he was Romero was kind of atoning a little bit for Night of the Living Dead for like making Barbara just like you know kind of like this weak one dimensional character, and then they started talking about like basically being like an opposed Ripley world, right? And and like that that like he wanted one of the atonements he wanted to do was make a character that was well rounded. Well, no, it was before Ripley. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that, was the, that was the that was the yeah. yeah. That's but, like, but before yeah. Ripley, so you know. And but, this but, is my on my closing thoughts of Alien that I said there was a, a pre-Ripley and a post-Ripley role for film, and I still stand by that assessment because I think that as far as protagonist goes, I mean, to me, she's up there with like Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. Right? Where you yeah. think of like like I don't. The, oh god. Oh no! I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I, I was just say, look at like, Mila Jovovich and all those how... like Resident Evil. She's like a cut-rate Ripley, yeah. right? Yeah, like it's very uh, that's what we have Ripley at home. Probably like one of the most popular female characters in in cinema. Yeah, I don't think there could be, I don't think there's a way to have a world post Ripley that isn't influenced by it, by her, by that character. 
by that I, I think with, without Sigori, we I don't think that role wouldn't have been as impactful if it had been for her betrayal. Um, I don't think we would care. I don't think it would be something weird. I don't know. About. You know who was the, uh, they were also considering for the role, but she couldn't do it because uh, something personal happened and she couldn't, she, she emotionally Roseanne. wasn't there. Was, Roseanne um, Arquette? No, no, no. Um, uh, oh, shoot. I, I always forget her name. Um, Veronica Cartwright, who was in the first movie. She was supposed to play uh, Ripley, but. Oh. I yeah. Like yeah, no, no. Oh, really? They, they okay. were between. Yeah. Uh, but they switched they really, at the last minute. They they wanted to go with um uh was it Glenn Close I think it was Glenn Close Glenn Close oh that would have been pretty good I think it was it was uh, if it was not Glenn Close it's one of those type of actresses in that, that oh, okay. Caliber, okay I look which, this up right now I, and I always I screw it up because it, because I, I always get Glenn Close confused with somebody else yeah and I'll always say one or the other name and usually I'm right because they're it's like like uh, Oscar winning winning women uh, in movies like 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 yeah. you know who's always doing Oscar bait basically. Uh, it's either going close Meryl. to another person. Meryl yeah, Streep. I was gonna say that's Meryl yeah. Streep is what comes. It, right. it might have been Meryl Streep. Uh, you know, but like no, like, uh, like it was Meryl Streep. Okay. Okay. I don't think Shall I would have liked her as much. Oh, no, which, yeah, that, didn't that come up in Alien? Yeah. Yeah, which which would have been a very interesting. He beat out Sigourney. Beat out Meryl Streep. Like if you could beat out Meryl Streep. Well, like, no, they wanted to go with Meryl Streep, but yeah, like, they knew personal. each other, right? Like there was like a yeah. personal connection. It was like our yeah. roommates or something. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Were really Meryl Streep playing a role like that? I, she could have done it. I think she's good enough, but I, I don't think I don't think it wouldn't have been as good as Sigourney Weaver. Like, yeah, the, yeah. Do you think Meryl Streep might have been good enough? You think? Okay. <laughs> she probably. I mean, we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have Sigourney Weaver to compare it to if if yeah. they had Meryl Streep and she hadn't had that conflict. Yeah. So I'm sure she would have done a great job in her own right, but now, I just now feel like I'm Sigourney Weaver was what? just such a perfect choice. Now I'm wondering what would have been if Veronica Cartwright was Ripley in the original. Absolutely. Or, or they actually yeah. hired a trans woman for uh, Lambert in the original. Like they they retconned in, in Aliens, um, which we only found out because of the 4K edition. Um, yeah. If you oh, pause right. on the uh, the screen where they're showing the bios, um, it, you know, in the 4K edition, you can actually read them. And it actually said that, that uh, you know, she, she's a uh, trans, uh, Lambert is a trans woman. So according to the script. According to what we see on screen. Oh. Yeah. So so the files, they show the files on huh. screen. And they're like in the background of, of the scene where, where um, Ripley's being interrogated by the company. Yeah. Um, I didn't pick up on that. Well, yeah, I didn't it's, either. It's until... a recent releva uh, re 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 revelation. 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 You're doing revelation. so great. Um, but only because of the 4K release. Like, like nobody had noticed it before the 4K release. People started pausing it to read the uh, bios. and like, oh, wait, really, Lambert? The more wow. you know. <laughs> I did uh, that. Small point uh, with this movie. I like the fact that, um, so they're, you know, running all around in space, right? But they have to go into suspended animation. Like, that that's a thing. And, and suspended animation, like, factors in big time, mm -hmm. right? Like, there, there's, you know, in this case, it's been 57 years since the first movie. But, you know, for Ripley, it, just, it literally just happened. And that mode of travel, I think, think that we've been and i adore star trek but i think we've been spoiled by star trek and everyone's you know she was zipping all around like doing this they're like yeah space travel was like long and boring and yeah, i and ideally like yeah, and Star. <laughs> god damn it <laughs> but with the technology Can you expound I, upon that andrew <laughs> <laughs> with the technologies as we have them it would be yeah. more like alien 
then then or that Fakakta uh Chris Pratt movie where he uh, wakes up uh, uh what's her face and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. No, no, different. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would've been cool. There's there's a space movie where he like wakes up him. Jennifer Lawrence or something and like it's a whole I don't know. Yeah, there's they, honestly they should re-edit that movie where where like they cut out like the first 45 minutes and then like have that be like a mystery. Uh, making... <laughs> That'd be a better film for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the movie. There's a good movie in there. It's just we didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's... give us the he's, Snyder. He's not the hero. Uh, but <laughs> but the idea and they lean into it like with the whole like oh the you know the 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 egg is in the person who's sleeping right and then like you know we're eventually going to be able to get this asset like you know when the ship returns. But I like the fact that because think about it this way. If this is like these the space like libertarian utopia like Elon Musk world that we're thinking of, we're never gonna go around to like hyperdrives and stuff like that. People are gonna be yeah. still trying to like profiteer off of like mundane things. So I think that that makes it cooler in a way because it's like fuck, it probably would be more like that. It would be yeah. like the Queen their song thirty nine. Yeah, and their I mean their ships are like aircraft carriers, aren't they? Like aren't they yeah. in like an enormous ship? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. yeah. And, 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 and I didn't know, try like, to make that go at light speed. And I think without it being overtly dystopian, other than the fact that it's like a capitalist hellscape where people will profiteer off of a, a invasive alien species that will literally end your civilization, on that minor point, I feel like it's just like, oh no, these are just people trying to like get by, which I think is much yeah. more identifiable for people in today's society. I wonder if people uh, be like, we'll, we'll defend the aliens. I'm like, well, yeah, in a way, because we're kind of disrupting their thing yeah i like james james cameron's point in that clip we watched about the blue collar like folks in like post maybe maybe this doesn't count as post-apocalyptic but you know like space age or like futuristic things like we it was you know a new kind of idea to show like people who are just out of their We're jobs fast. at work it, it's like it's it's not that it's dystopian it's the fact that these are just people hustling they're yeah. they're, they're they're working class people. In it's like going to war. You have no choice. Yes. Yeah. They signed up three year contract. The they're not good enough for college. They're not going to the military straighten them up. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I heard you try to put space truckers in there, Andrew. How dare you? <laughs> first of all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think that, that that that's that's notable in the fact that like a slow space travel like there's. Like there's a lot more to explore there because it enters in uh, new types of stories to be told that I think the franchise does well, even when the other movies that I am not as much of a fan of mm. uh, doesn't quite do well. And then also the fact that like it's working class people in space. Are they being exploited? Fuck yeah, they are. Yep. Working class people are usually sure. being exploited. Yeah, Bezos, what's up? Exactly. Space Amazon. Well, say corporations <laughs> willing to destroy people's lives in order to get the alien technology they want i'm sure they're not like making good contracts for their workers either well but but, yeah. but the thing is but there's a monopoly right where else are you gonna go it's wayland yutani or nothing exactly so, this, so so i think so it's where hilarious. else do they have the turn you got them by the balls it, it's a it's a monopoly uh thing as well which is funny because you don't see that much about monopolies in space it's either oh we move past that well, or I mean, like, you're doing, it's just you're doing cyberpunk. I still can't like, believe they know, named it Space Force. Like, 
Back to Space Force. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'm sorry, but like they're trying to, I mean, in a way they're trying to colonize these, these planets and get this alien venom and whatever, whatever. But it's like, come on. Like, did you guys hear that there are extraterrestrial life in Venus's clouds? Like, I'm like, uh-oh. Someone's going to try I, to get whatever that is. Right, right. Like, we're learning about extraterrestrial life happening or, 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 or other like Earth-like planets. And I'm like, this is all happening too fast. But knowing how the time continuum is, it's going to take like like 500 years to get there. So we're good. Well, and I think so. And, and since we're talking about, <laughs> since we're also talking about like space corporatism and whatnot, I think the fact that the company like in the CIA thing, I don't see that as much as like corporate espionage, but corporate espionage with full on monopolistic concerns. Like what happens when the only corporate espionage is against basically your consumers? Things along those lines. Like it's not even this, that it's like nefarious or like it's that's actually the worst thing about it is that it's like, no, they're just trying to make more money. That's what they do. It's like, yeah. why why do the aliens do what they do? Well, the aliens do what they do because that's their instinct. Well, the instinct of a corporation is to serve yeah. the interests of the shareholders and to make a profit. They're just yeah. trying to survive, man. <laughs> yeah. The aliens are just trying to live their lives and the humans are getting in the way. Exactly. Leave the aliens alone. If you're, if, you know, like these humans, did you? They know well where what those aliens are capable of, and they're and they don't care. And aliens are like, All right, we're gonna impregnate. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit on some faces and and go with this thing. Yeah. Well, she well, like, she has that she has that quote um in, in the movie where she's like, who's like who are the real villains? Like, sure, they're they're terrifying aliens, but like you know, at least they're not fucking each other over for the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's that's like a crazy like that's a crazy quote to be in a movie like this. Yeah. 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 Well, and the it's are two evils. You know, it's 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 yeah. it's a late eighties science fiction movie that not only defined the action genre, but also is like bringing up those kinds of questions, just like Robocop, just just like you know, Wall Street happened a year after this. You know, think about the fact that you know, people only think of like the greed is good line, sure, but think about Charlie Sheen literally basically catfishing his dad into into like fucking over his union like his, his life's work right like that's what was in the zeitgeist at this time yeah i can't believe i'm bringing up these points by the way this is not normal i know we just crack wise and you know bust yeah but there there's connections <laughs> to all this it's all connected people yeah, Wake yeah, up, yeah. You know, cameron's follow-up film was uh you know a more environmental film with abyss so so like you know he he kind of continued right. um with, with this not trusting, uh, although that one's more not trusting government, but was a public private. Tr uh, but it all ties in together. There's there's uh, this yeah, anti trust. The same, yeah. uh, and a lot of it kind of came out of cyberpunk. I mean, if, if anybody's read, um, um, oh, now I'm going to blank on the dude's name. William now I'm trying to think what the political themes for Titanic are. <laughs> the Abandon the upper class. You could be fine being working class girl on your own after meeting a dude. Fall in love with him. I like that in the first movie, she's with other blue collar workers, right, on that yeah. ship, and she's the only one who makes it. And then in the second one, she's got military police, like Marines, with her, and they don't make it either. Yeah, but she still she still makes it, and the kid, yeah, which is impressive, smart, and, and most of the robot. 
Not all of them, most but most of them. The robot, <laughs> most yeah. of the robot right. did indeed make it in this movie, yes. Yeah. Which well, uh, I, I, was, I just love the fact that... Uh, DJ, um, most of the robot, yes. <laughs> that that uh, Lance Hendrickson's in this movie because uh, James Cameron really wanted to cast him as the Terminator and, and couldn't, so, so he wanted to give him a good role other than that small role that he had in Terminator because... Uh, Lance Henderson's great. Um, you know, shout out to Renee Ruin for your conquest. Um, you know, loves uh, for the love of uh, uh, Lance Hendrickson. So, you know, just just uh, shout out to her since she's not here. And Lance Hendrickson. He's not here either. Who's also not here. Let's <laughs> 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 just shout out all the but people. They're out there doing here. a great job. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, another another movie that this reminds me of um, that Andy, we, I mean, we talked near about. Dark. He's in Near Dark. Near Dark, too. That's why. Uh, <laughs> another yeah. another movie that Aliens reminds me of, um, you know, Stargate. Only, uh, a few years later is Total Recall because, you know, they have colonization of another planet as the central tenant with a, you know, an evil company that's kind of in charge of that. Like, it's so talk about colonization. Which, which colonization, was written but, by the guy who wrote uh, Alien. Yeah. You know, Dan O'Bannon. connecting. Yeah. So oh, screenplay. All, okay. I was, I was about yeah. To... No, yeah. Philip yeah. K. Dick uh... wrote the short, short story, but <laughs> Dan O'Bannon. Alien or alien. I had a fun time um, in Austin the day I met up with David Griscom because we were doing that. We were doing Total Recall as our like uh, movie episode. So I ended up going back to an Airbnb doing that. And then the day I met up with David Griscom, I was listening to the audiobook of like the of that short story. It's like only three hours. It was it was a it was a fire audiobook, but it was fun. I was I took this electric scooter because they had electric scooters everywhere in Austin. And I was just like scooting around Austin, like listening to that. Listening to <laughs> We Can Remember It for You wholesale, like a boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and Philip K. Dick definitely was a proto uh, cyberpunk writer. Um, a lot of them were inspired by him. So, sure. makes perfect sense, you know, so. Philip K. Dick fans are called Dickheads. Oh, no. Doug yes. Lane. No, no, no. <laughs> like Erica's reaction. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it was coming. I could feel it. <laughs> what, this is what happens when you bring me on? Yeah, what, 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 what I don't know. What are they called? That's the dickheads. Well, Harry Potter fans are called, you know, well, potheads. Potheads. Pot, yeah, oh, and uh, and Grateful Dead fans are called deadheads. And, and uh, Ben yeah. Burgess fans are called giveheads. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, so I found out while I was. What are Stargate fans called? Starheads. Whatever. I have no clue. No, hey, I actually hung out with people who like built an actual Stargate, like not a working one, but like a replica <laughs> one. <laughs> that's hey, oh, maybe that's where the deer went. <laughs> that's, the deer went to the Stargate. Um, no, and they, they they dress up and they have their own like like uh, unit, like they're like SG uh, forty four or something like that, and and uh, unit. <laughs> it, it's it's weird, um, but it's a thing. So, so you know, sh shout out to my Stargate fans. Shout out to those people specifically. Yes, why not? I'm glad you got that in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was That's really important to make it. All right, so I, I have, I have, so. um, I have an, two more clips I wanted to play All before right. before we we end this. The first one, um, I'll play them in order. Designing designing the face hugger. So I wanted to talk about those two uh, things before we jump to Conan's. Uh, letterbox things because I, I like talking about the design elements of movies like this yeah, i think yeah. it's a 
fascinating, a fascinating part of the film design process. I mean, it was one of the most shocking and wonderful effects in film history. We had to repeat it, but we had to do something a little different. I actually endeavored on the on the second picture to make it even less gory than the first one, because I think the chestburster scene is, is pretty gory in and of itself, although the, um, the, the number of seconds of gore, say, throughout the film is not is not that great. But I actually, I actually tried to pull back even more from that because I figured, okay, the first film told you what could happen. We don't have to, we don't have to, to, to uh, revel in it. The chest burster is representative of all of the uh, uh, creature effects in the films that they have all changed slightly. Um, and what you hope you do is, is you're making it more specific to the story and that you're making improvements without destroying the original designs of these creatures which are really just great designs we had a copy of the uh, of the original chestburster from the first film and the thing that we were noticing in the original sculpture was there, there was an indication that there were to be arms little arms on the thing and, and i wasn't really aware of them in the film jim did want to add arms to it he wanted it to look like the hands were helping free itself pushing pushing itself out i think he felt that the one in the first one was just a little too larval and able to disconnect from what it ultimately will become. We built two chestbursters, one of which had three joints in the waist so that it could do a curling effect as it burst through the chest. And that was like a big punching ram that could come through the, uh, it was an actress with her body backed away on, from the set so that there was a fake so prop coming down from basically from her armpits forward. Um, body sort of like a yeah, body up through the table, kind of a magician's gag. And so when the, the first chestburster came through, we were able to literally punch through like a punching rod and come through a latex skin and a uh, distressed t-shirt that she was wearing with a lot more energy than even in the, uh, the John Hurt chestburst from the first film. In uh, continuing that effect, we built and an entire cut, and then the articulated puppet went would, inside. And the articulate puppet was um, multiple layers of vertebrae that had four directions of uh, universally organic motion, as well as small rods for the hands. So they had the praying mantis folds um, and a much wider jaw actuation so that the mouth could open even further because it had to be burnt. Oh, almost like a full yeah. tentacle. Didn't Steve Norrington do yes. that as well? Yeah, I think yeah. Steve did that. And then we had a puppet replica of the actress after it's come out and she's dead that fit into the cocoon so that they could hit it with a, a flamethrower. So that was actually burnt. And if mm -hmm. I remember right, we, the hero going. puppet it's still, was, it, the hero puppet was sacrificed. Thrashing a mile yeah, a minute. Just, it was like, burn, okay, you know, hopefully we got this because we're about to burn it right yeah. now. Move! You don't create fear with gore. You create disgust. It's a whole different emotion, and I think that certainly for me, the the emphasis on the second picture was less on on horror and more on terror. You wanted people to experience the fear and the suspense. That's right. Yep, I have my own personal chestburster with me right now. By the way. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! Where are my cats at? Somebody, somebody is a little lonely right now, so. Oh. Got some lap time going on. Um, but like it, it's interesting though, right? Because the most iconic scene in the original uh, Alien 
is the chestburst scene. Like I, I don't, you know, that's the that's the scene I think that's completely lived on for, you know, longer than 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 any other scene probably ever will from that movie. So, I mean, it's lampooned in Spaceballs. We start saying, "Hello, my baby. Hello, my daughter." <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's one of the greatest. That's one of the greatest amazing. fucking moments in that movie. But um, as Bill Pullman told me that one time, it holds up. But um, <laughs> um, no, but like, so it's 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 fascinating. I think um, that kind of do it. Yes, and it, it's in a much. Uh, more grotesque and kind of interesting way, I think. Um, this time with with the woman, literally, like, because they they already know what kind of is is like both the audience and I mean Sigourney Weaver kind of knows where this is going, and like you know, but it, it's it's definitely fascinating that like they they feel the need to kind of redo that in a in a much more like in a much more kind of intricate and like um, uh, I think. Uh, you know, you can kind of presume that that's what's about to happen, but like, they they kind of surprise you with it again in a different way. Because the first one, the fact that it's such a muted scene before that happens, and they're kind of just all hanging out and eating breakfast together, and like, oh, it, it feels like surprised. Thinking yeah, everything's all right now. Yeah, yeah. even the cast then, was not prepared for that scene. They were like, ah, yeah. the reaction was, was real. I heard they didn't tell, they didn't prepare them for that, so they could get really good reactions. Apparently, yeah, it worked out nicely. <laughs> apparently Bobby apparently Bobby Winant wasn't ready for that either because she had that long uh that long complaint that we <laughs> we watched in the first version of this. Yes, the queen. <laughs> yes. The real queen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but Careful, so like, she might plant an egg in you, Conan. You'll have like little bobbies bursting from your chest. <laughs> exactly. That's I, more I horrifying than an actual alien, frankly. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that uh that James Cameron has the idea to create this because he's like, listen, I love this movie. I could create a sequel. I could write the sequel. I feel like, you know, this is something I'm good at. And then he kind of creates this, um, you know, this this follow-up to that, like building up to the point, like building up to a very different movie where it's kind of like a zombie movie where they're all being chased by aliens throughout this entire, um, like, like power plant and they're kind of ready for it rather than kind of just being like a slasher film where it's an accident. Um, I, so I, I think that's really interesting to kind of recreate that moment, but like do it in such a way that in this movie, I think it's a lot more almost grotesque and vicious and like, you know, cause she's just, she's just like suffering and she's saying, kill me, kill me. And then you're like, you're, you know, you're, you're like, Oh fuck. Like this is, this is really dark. And then all of a sudden it just bursts out of her chest and you're like, yeah, this is the alien. <laughs> yeah. What, what'd you think you were getting into with the title? Yeah. Cute little puppies. Exactly. It wasn't friends hanging out in space doing cool shit together, the movie. Yeah. yeah. And making a buck or two. They weren't pivoting. Pivot, 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 pivot. Although <laughs> <laughs> they, they probably should since they were being chased by aliens. Andy, that's probably the best yeah. visual gag with the most amount of effort to put into it and the lowest amount of on-screen time payoff. But I appreciate <laughs> you doing it not once, but twice. <laughs> Well, Forrest didn't see it the last time, so we had to. Yeah, yeah he's get all him. busy. Yeah. Aliens. <laughs> there's more than one of them now. Exactly. Yes. In the title. We know. Yeah, what there's for. two. Just kidding. All right, so this is this is the uh, this is the other one on designing the face huggers themselves, which you know is a different process, I think, in this in this film than those things are terrifying. Yeah, than the original. Mm-hmm.
right? Give some prime purring from Jack Harkness right now, by the way. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> He's a loud purr. Purr? Sure. That works. I remember going to the lab once or whatever they called it, where they showed us the face huggers. And then as we were like looking at, you know, the thing, they sort of set it off. I just remember that was a blast to puppeteer that because it was just such a uh, just such a base reaction. You know, it's ever ever since you're a kid and you and you you try to scare somebody to make them jump and and knowing that that's exactly what the point was for the audience, that was a, a lot of fun. We had a puppet and an actuated puppet, but very difficult because it had to be controlled through water. So we had to really figure out how we could get all of these cables and everything hidden and not have everything leak out of the of the stasis tube at the same time. The dissection scene from the first Alien film was literally a horseshoe crab with some oysters laid in the bottom and a little bit of extra latex rubber dressing on it. Shane built the dissection face hugger for the second film, and that was stomach tripe unrolled out to its honeycomb Chicken pattern. Skin. Yeah, silver paint, chicken skin, really weird. And it was pinned, and it was stuff. pinned out on a dissection board too. I mean, we had to put the thing in a refrigerator every night, and nobody would touch it except Shane. It was it, only because he had and to. And Lance, so bring, Lance bring in that horrible thing. Lance Hendrickson was really yeah. good with it. Yeah. yeah, he was fun. Oh, buddy, what is that you got there? Oh, wow, look at that. You know, and he get in there and start working. Well, you, you know, we 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 <laughs> like actors, and we and yeah. the stuff that we make, you you have to help them do their job too. So if you make it as real as possible, that gives them something to react to. In order to create the illusion of these two face huggers, which are now loose in that room, created a half dozen different forms of this particular creature so that it could have a performance and become a character. Didn't change the design, extended the design, changed what it could do as an actor. What Jim really wanted was that proximity and the tactileness of it. So there were a few different pieces that we built for that. We had two hero face huggers, which had complete mobility of the, of the fingers. It could crawl and reach uh, and try and, and, and get at, at Newt and try and, and get at Ripley. Complete action, but operated literally by six or seven puppeteers just to get all of those fingers doing everything they had to do. Huge bundle of cables. When Sigourney Weaver is holding it and fighting away, fighting it away from her, there's a huge bundle of cables down her arm. She's creating a performance. Carrie's creating a performance. It's coming up over the table, trying to crawl out after her. And it's a very, very extensive animatronic cable-operated effect. Probably the, the most uh, uh, complex of the pieces was the running face hugger. And that was uh, the mechanism for that was built by Rick Lazzarini. It was a very clever mechanism. It was a uh, like a pull toy, uh, where there was a couple of pulleys that a, a cable would run through inside the body. And you had another cable that, as you pulled the uh, the creature along, the wheels of the pulleys would turn, which would activate cams that made the the, the legs scuttle. This thing looks like a fucking Alaskan king crab. But basically, the wire is going to come from here straight. And from here, probably come out about here, that way. So that the tail angles down like this, it's gonna come down like this more. And the wire will be over the tail and uh, the sucker will spin it around. It was in fact a low tech, high art, very interesting concept. And this little thing was running at you, running across the room and it was virtually a pull toy.
And then in addition to that, Cameron did some very clever things with reverse photography mixed with forward movement. There's actually three different pieces to this shot when the, the creature runs out and stops and then it leaps onto the leg of a table and right at, and then leaps right at the camera. And what that was, was the little pull toy uh, face hugger running, stops, cut the camera, take that one out, place the uh, a floppy stunt face hugger on the table and then we put a little eyelet in the ground where the uh, where the little other running facehugger stop, pull that back towards it, run that in reverse, cut the two together, and it looks like the creature runs up, stops, jumps onto the table leg. Then we place, for the last part of the shot, we place the facehugger back on the table leg and yanked it directly towards camera. And when you cut those three pieces together, you see it run, jump, and leap at the camera. Those kind of in-camera tricks that I think Cameron was able to design and wrap his head around. A lot of directors fear that kind of thing because they just, they don't have any experience. They're not, you know, willing to take the chance. And Cameron, Cameron dives, dives in and says, we, we can, can make, make this work, work and here's how, and it, it worked beautifully. But he couldn't figure out getting Leo on that fucking door. <laughs> mm -hmm. I got a bone, Mike. He could have he fit. Anyway, moving on. But to go back it. to the face hugger thing. Moving on extravaganza. It's how... <laughs> is how like that design, like the face huggers have been like very, very popular and like reused throughout like other projects. Like I mentioned yeah. earlier with Buffy the Vampire Slayer because those things are kind of terrifying. And I swear to God, it looks like a vulva. And also a ball sack at the same time. So it's, <laughs> yep. like, it's amazing. There's all those things. It's, it's, it intersects, you know? And, and you know, the, the, also the other thing too, as I mentioned before, Stan Winston is an artist and the fact that he's, he wasn't talking about like the technical aspect of it. He was talking about how he was trying to great, give a good performance of the puppets. And, yep. and that's mm -hmm. the, that's what makes him different from from like a lot of other uh, special effects guys. They're that, cast members, yeah. essentially. They are important characters that need to have a performance. And it, exactly. I mean, we've seen it in, in, in the 80s, they did a lot of practical stop motion puppeteering. So, of course, they had to make sure that these things felt and looked real and acted real. You can't do that with yeah. CGI. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's such impressive work. I mean, getting something that has like, you know, eight spiny legs to make it. I mean, and, and obviously like the camera, the camera cheats, yeah. I guess, if you want to call it whatever. And the noise you know, he's like, oh, Put it on there and then pulled it off, but then put it in reverse. So it looked like it was leaping onto the thing. Like, yeah. It's just, you can't do that anymore. I don't know why. I'm like, work. It's, still do it. It still will look good. Do you yeah. think? What do you think the budget com comparisons are, though? Like paying a team of people to create an entire alien colony, or CGIing it? I want to see the. I'm interested in the numbers. I've heard. That. I've heard that CGI is even more expensive for some reason. <laughs> Get that on Erica's desk by Monday, would you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're planning on making a film? Me? <laughs> yeah, is that what's going oh, on? You're, you're, you're I'd love to make a film, film, yeah. Yeah, asking for a friend, and the friend is yeah, her. Yeah. I would love to she's make gonna, a film. She, she's going to kidnap Conan, and then she's going to do Conan, you're trying to see your friends with Conan as the CGI frontman. <laughs> Great. So she controls. It'll be like Misery, except, you yeah. know, Conan's I love Misery. Conan, you got you to gotta CGI <laughs> and some friends. <laughs> <laughs> Break sure. the cat. 
<laughs> Conan Neutron and the CGI friends. How about we go. make a CGI Conan Neutron, but it's Jack Harkness's head? I feel like that'd be more popular because people like cats. <laughs> we already got the green screen, so. This is exactly. <laughs> I've done stupid things for less effect and less views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have a suit with the little balls all over it, though? Oh, he's got a ball suit. He, he's got a gimp suit, but uh, he doesn't like to talk about it. They're called hey, uh, balls, motion capture, please. Hey, Industry Conan. professionals talking. Buddy, are you ready for your letterbox one-liner? Please, get, let's get out of whatever this is. Yes. <laughs> so We uh, CGI'd you into the letterbox one-liners, and we're going to be easier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it no. in post uh yeah are you intro or am i we should figure this out no well i i think i think this is your your segment you do better introing it than i do i stumble over my words so yeah you should, you should totally make a song and uh have force put together a video so then we can just play that and then go right into it let it box let it box party on excellent <laughs> let it box is a social media site for lovers and viewers of film to talk at with amongst and for each other about different types of movies it is a place that says something that's a bottom-up democracy you have your popular figures but anyone can chime in on a movie and let them know what their thoughts are they can write in-depth poignant reviews just like roger ebert and critics of old or they can also write these snappy little one-liners and right, the most the, famous, the most famous of these figures on Letterbox is Matthew Film Guy. <laughs> yes, feature guest on the show, Matthew Film Guy. Uh, and so, what we do for these movies, uh, we of course being the royal we because I do this, is uh, pull the ones that are uh, funny, insightful, pithy, uh, whatever. There's something there that is, is worth mentioning. It isn't necessarily somebody has the most followers. It's just that it strikes the fancy at the moment in time about this movie so letterboxd is a site it's probably one of the social media sites i like frankly and uh yeah that's the bit all right letterboxd one-liners with conan neutron is Let's brought go. to you by i don't know nothing it's brought to you by a hologram conan neutron with jack harkness's face <laughs> starting with number one number one those aliens are just like those bugs you want to squash except they're fucking huge and terrifying hey man <laughs> You know what I always say to that? The True. only good bug, or the only the, the only good bug is a dead bug. Yeah, Starship Troopers owes, owes. I love Starship Troopers, but owes so much to aliens. Like no, Star. I I felt that throughout it. Like Starship Troopers is is literally feels like it's parodying aliens, which is funny because before that I felt like it was parodying um like Full Metal Jacket and yeah. uh like you know what I mean like yeah. Sometimes a family is a lesbian in a jumpsuit. An orphan girl, guy named Dwayne, and a really nice synthetic. She's not a lesbian, though, is she? Yeah. Well, no, she seems, she seems interested in. She's in, into in, Doctor Who in the third one. Well, she seems interested in in the 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 guy that uh, the guy that yeah. looks exactly like fucking Bill Paxton, which is kind of funny. Like I I had trouble telling the two of them apart sometimes during this movie, but oh the the the, the but the guy that isn't game over, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the guys. <laughs> Am I allowed to say I was horny for Scorny Weaver the whole time? Yes, hey. you are, Lucy. Yes, we do not think shame. 
They they even have her like everybody else is wearing the army stuff in, in the beginning, and she's like wearing the panties during the 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 scene where they get out of the uh, where they get out of the the hypersleeve things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She should really get a percentage of the sales of those that particular style of underwear. I think, but whatever. <laughs> Nobody asked me. It's no cars too. As far as sequels go, it's still incredible. <laughs> That's Tyler Lantern there. Which, by the way, at the end of this, I asked on both Facebook and Twitter um, for people's favorite sequels, and I'll, I'll read some of those responses at the at the at the end of this. Right too. <laughs> Me immediately upon seeing the xenomorph queen. Oh, I know this big bitch got some tea. Movie <laughs> 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 enjoyer. <laughs> yes, queen. Wow. Hey, hon. <laughs> Somebody wake up Hicks. <laughs> yeah, Hicks was the one that she was she was like kind of having a bit of a romantic connection yeah. with, right? Hicks is the is the non-Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mom mentality though. at its finest. Mm. What? What yep. is that? <laughs> it's like a play on mom mentality, but mom. Oh. The alien queen versus the true queen, Sigourney Weaver. James. Amen. <laughs> testify did the math and i do believe on a purely technical level get away from her you bitch does in fact pass the bechdel test <laughs> well it's, it's, all, it's it's also a callback to the original alien where you know she's like you bitch at the end of it <laughs> yep it's it she has a lot of killer lines that is that's an all-timer has uh everybody seen uh vicar of dibley it's a oh, British. Uh, it's a British. Uh, you speaking English to me? Yeah. I started it, but I haven't finished it. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna kind of spoil a line for you. But one of the characters is getting proposed to, and he goes, "Remember what Sigourney Weaver said in, in Aliens?" And uh, Alice looks confused and goes, "Get away from her, you bitch!" It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. Before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill me. <laughs> but speaking of sequels. I want to go to final thoughts, starting with Erica. Um, final thoughts on aliens. This is um, seven Z's. Uh, my final thoughts on this movie are that it is excellent, and I can't think of any ways to improve on it. Uh, hire a Latina woman to play Vasquez. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. Was, was... That would definitely. Okay. She was in the. She was. I. I don't. I don't know how much of it we saw in the clips, but like. She she was like clearly white, and then they clearly had like browned her down a little bit. So. Yeah, do you yeah. know what her name is? <laughs> You're right. The actress's name. Um, I, I had pulled it up right here. It's um. Oh, where did it go? Scarlett uh, Johansson. Jeanette Goldstein. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she gave she a great Jewish? performance. I, I would yeah. imagine so with that name. Post West Side Story world people, they were still tanning their actors. Wow, uh, Nat, you know, Nat, I, Natalie Wood played, can't play played thought, woman. <laughs> I, I thought she really was Latina, but like, uh, and I think a lot of other people did too. But like, no, um, that's probably the only thing I could think of to improve this movie is bringing an actual Latina woman to play Vasquez. Yeah, but go diversity, ahead. probably in the crew as well. I'm sure there could be more diversity thoughts. in the crew. But yeah, no, I just, I yeah. love it. I don't know. I don't know what else. It's to no, say. it's a good, it's a good, <laughs> good brief. People love it. <laughs> People are talking about People are talking it. about it more and oh. more. All right. <laughs> yeah. 
Who's next? Christina, let's hear some final thoughts. Uh, okay. No stress, too, goddamn. We'll kick you right off the show. <laughs> as someone who saw this movie as a child, as as a seven year old who clearly shouldn't have seen this movie, but whatever. Uh, it's it's an excellent sequel. I think James Cameron, you know, he knew to pay homage to Ridley Scott and not try to like fuck this up because he knew that he was, you know, touching something that was very, you know, sensitive in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's an excellent movie with a lot of heart, surprisingly, and also too, it's essentially a zombie film, but in space. And the effects and all that were done. It's it's really sad that people don't want to be imaginative and creative and, and try to still use those techniques that were uh, applied back then in film. Zombies in space. I feel like I've watched that. You probably have. Jason was, was, goes to space at one time at one uh, Friday thirteenth. So did the Leprechaun. <laughs> Harvard, no, I never got. I never. I never got my uh, episode of Parallax views watching uh, Leprechaun in the Hood with Jason. That, that we, we, I told JG Michael that I wanted that. That that is an idea for an episode. Um, it's an idea, all right. <laughs> uh, Conan, let's hear some final thoughts. Sure. Well, you know, if if it isn't the best sequel of all time. It's up there. You know, it's a tie with like Godfather 2, Rathacon, Dawn of the Dead, T2, Empire Strikes Back. It um, passes the Planet of the Apes test, which I mentioned earlier, which is you know what you're into when you read the title. Uh, You know, there's not going to be anyone serenaded in a canoe in this film. It's about aliens. It's about aliens. There's there's, there's more of them this time. Uh, It's also... one of the high water mark of action genre films. Like there's things that we think of as tropes because of this film and small individual scenes like, uh, like, you know, like them being the aliens being above them, you know, things like that are, are just, they, it still works. And also I'm amazed that we got through this without talking about how badass Bill Paxson's cowardly character is because Game over, man. Game over has to be one of the best lines of like any sci-fi movie. And the fact that he is fundamentally correct about everything, but nobody wants to hear it from him. Well, we talked about that part. We talked about that. I can't remember if that was on air, on mic or off air. But like, uh, that that is amazing to me. And and that is something that every time I see it, like I get super excited when I see him on the screen. Fuck yeah, Bill Paxton's awesome. Which, uh, by the way, RIP. RIP. RIP to a legend. Totally. And apparently, like that was a thing that he would um, say. <laughs> he'd be like in the mall, and somebody would come up to him and like and like shout the line. But he was always like cool about it, like yeah. It's, it's- or like him saying like, "Well, I'll be, well, I'll be goddamned or whatever from Titanic or something like that." That's another yeah. line. That God people not, everything's about Titanic, Christina. I know. I'm just <laughs> but that's because James Cameron like using it in projects. But. Point of fact, uh, <laughs> this is one of the best sci-fi action films. And there's so many movies that we love and that we think about that would not exist because of this. And again, going yep. back to what I said in Alien, there is a pre-Ripley and a post-Ripley world. Yeah. All right, Andy? This film also kind of creates a pre-Aliens and post-Aliens film. 
Uh, so, so, you know, the sci-fi action films really didn't quite exist. I mean, there were more adventure films. If you look at Planet of the Apes, if you look at um, mm -hmm. uh, Omega Man, uh, any of the other kind of um, what would have been called sci-fi action. But I think nowadays we can kind of, you know, call it more adventure because that's, that's more of what it was than, than as opposed to this where it's like a, a Vietnam War movie set in space. And um, it certainly kind of captures uh, a, a, a uh, you know, uh, it weirdly slotted itself into like the, the world of 1986 in ways um, that's really incredible. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that like, you know, you didn't quite see because you're just being, you're, you're enjoying the ride because that ride is so good. And um, it is a near perfect movie with the only one flaw I pointed out. Yeah. All right. Well, my, my interrupted my... a woman to show it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> my final thought, putting my hand right here. You were always an asshole, Conan. <laughs>